the sounds of Lebo Matosa and Free, an incredible, incredible artist, feisty, driven, was never shy to speak her mind. And it is really, really pure coincidence that we played Lebo Matosa <laughs> and we are speaking to Lebo Lion. She joins us now on the line, digital marketer, podcasting pioneer. She's doing so much. I don't know which of all that you do I can leave out, if I can leave anything out <laughs> at all. Level Lion, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm so glad. I mean, it's been it's been quite a while, actually. It's been a, a while that we've been like, okay, we are going to speak to her. We are going to speak to her. And then here we are speaking to you this evening. I hope yeah. you're well. You know, I'm well. I think I'm as well as a South African can be in these times, you know. We're all just trying to be positive. We're all trying to unite. And we're all trying to make sure that we are uh, agents of change and positive conversations and progressive conversations and not agents of negativity and toxicity. It's just not necessary right now. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to allow you in a bit to, to, to just, um, uh, share your story for those who might not know who Lebo Lion is, but I wanted to first explain why Lebo Matosa for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, pure coincidence, but mm-hmm. there's a particular energy that I remember from Lebo Matosa in person, but also through her music, where she was and remains the kind of person where, irrespective of her. Firstly, she was very loud, right? She was very loud, but extremely confident, did not take any ish whatsoever from anyone, uh, but also spoke her mind and was extremely expressive in how she feels and how driven she was. And when I think of that and I look at your story, that is what I see as well. Oh, that's that's a huge compliment, actually, uh, because that's exactly why I gave myself the name Lebo Lion. So Lebo Lion is not my name on my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. It's a name that I gave myself to constantly remind myself to, to, to have a voice when I'm in rooms, to have courage when I feel afraid, and to speak my mind, and to speak for people who can't speak for themselves, and not to be afraid to pioneer things that I believe in, and to have ideas that are unconventional, that people don't necessarily celebrate or understand, you know? Because I feel like that's that's the kind of person I've always been. And when I was a child, I was embarrassed of being that way. I thought there was something wrong with me. And then the older I got, and the more I got to understand myself, the more I realized that who I am is is necessary. It's it's a it's a part of this world. It's a, it, it can add to this beautiful story, you know, of the world. So I I just the more I've realized my own value, the more I am learning to not be afraid to share that value with other people, no matter what they think, no matter how they react. I want to have a conversation about the acknowledgement of one's value and how in turn, after acknowledging that you express it. But before we do so, introduce yourself to somebody who's never heard of you there's so much i mean i touched on the digital marketer and what you're doing podcasting but there's a whole lot more that you do so uh, as scheme would say when i who are you when am i <laughs> it's that jaded interview question you know when you're going to get a job look for a job and then they yeah say, yeah exactly 
Tell us about yourself. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. <laughs> I used to shake when, when uh, they'd ask me that in interviews, but now I'm pretty confident about who I am. So, mm. Level Lion is a change agent. You know, she's somebody who believes in um, ideas, in innovation, in thinking. And I try to implement that in everything that I do. So you've touched on the podcasting. You know, when I started podcasting a couple of years ago, it wasn't popular. What you're seeing now comes from that, what we were starting at that time. And I'm a young black woman uh, who has a business podcast, you know, something that isn't very popular. In fact, in the business charts, on the iTunes charts, I'm one of the only women who are there in a non-finance capacity every single month trending for my um, to a podcast, you know. So I have a podcast, I have a digital marketing agency, and we really are about helping companies be more creative, have ideas that are more in touch with the African customer, and to not be afraid to do things differently and to set their own tone and their own path, you know. Because what I've experienced in South Africa is that a lot of us tend to do what's being done in other countries. And we're not trying to create something that's unique to us. We feel like what other countries have to offer is superior. So what we're trying to drive is, no, what we have here is good enough. In fact, it's incredible. And the world wants to see it. The world wants to hear it. And we need to own our brilliance. We don't need to shy away from it. And even in doing that in my podcast, I've been invited on a lot of international stages to share my ideas about how I think we should be doing marketing for the African continent, how I think we should be doing marketing in different organizations. I've had mentions from people like Simon Sinek and Adam Grant, um, HubSpot, a lot of marketing communities that I have dreamed of being in. You know, They found me through my podcast. They found me through the tweets that I share every single morning about my ideas about the world and business. So I think, yeah, I'm a thinker who uses her ideas in every single little thing that she does. Um, and I used to have a tech company back in the days. We used to do tablets. Uh, it was a time when the government was rolling out paperless learning, and we wanted to be at the forefront of that. So we designed tablets, and on the tablets we had um, mathematics and English applications and science, helping the kids learn those subjects from, I think it was grade, grade 7 to matric. Um, So I've been doing a lot with my life, you know. I've always taken risks. I've always just tried to follow my heart and do what feels right to me. I love learning. I love being in uncomfortable situations because I feel like that's how I grow. And that's that's what I do, you know. And I can't tell you who I'll be in the next five years because I don't know where my curiosity (laughs) is going to take me. But I'm just excited to be alive. Yeah, the, your your curiosity and all that you have achieved uh, over the past couple of years is is phenomenal. And I want to take you even back and and uh, you know touch on what you've mentioned already. There was a particular time in your story in your life uh, level where you didn't have the confidence and you you didn't have a sense of your self worth. Take us back to that time. I mean, where, where did you grow up and, and what was your story that you ended up feeling as you did? Because I also want to talk about how you overcame it. But let's just, before you overcame that issue, mm-hmm. where did it all begin? You know, I, I that's a very good question. No one's ever asked me that. And I think it's, it's, it's for me, it starts from, from as early as probably four years old of me just feeling very different to other children. You know, 
I remember, um, so I've got two very outspoken parents. My dad is an entrepreneur. He does incredible things. My mom is outspoken. She's been climbing the corporate ladder in her career. And there was always pressure to be somebody who, who speaks their mind, somebody, you know, who isn't afraid to be around crowds and people. But I was always afraid of that, you know. Mm. And I remember um, doing a play at school. I think I was in grade six. And funnily enough, I was the lion in the play. Oh, hello. So they asked me to roar, and I couldn't roar really loudly. So all, all my peers, all the kids in the class laughed at me. And the teacher tried to coach me to roar really loudly, but I couldn't because I was so shy. And eventually, they changed the script in the play to make me the cowardly lion because I couldn't roar. Hmm. And I remember from that day, I just said to myself, something needs to change. Why are you so afraid? What is it about the world and people and your thoughts that you don't want to share, that you don't want to confront, that you think is bad? You know, So I can't tell you exactly where it came from, but I just remember from, being, from a very young age being somebody who was very shy, very antisocial. I didn't speak a lot. You know, I speak a lot now because I spent so many years being silent and observing people. <laughs> you're, making you know? up, you're making up for lost time. <laughs> yeah, essentially. People don't, people don't believe me, but ask my parents. They're so shocked. They're like, oh my gosh, where is this coming from? Because yeah. you were silent for most of your years. You know, um, so for me, I think I've been like this. And that period for me, I think, was about observing people, learning the world. It fed my curiosity because when you're quiet, people don't see you. So you get to see them living in their truth. <laughs> you get to mm. see them being themselves. And I think that's helped me become a marketer. That's what's helped me be so good at creating things that are valuable for people because I've learned to observe people instead of judge them. And I, so I'm grateful for those years, even though they were really tough and embarrassing. And I remember people laughing at me. And it, it was just a very difficult time. But, but in retrospect, I appreciate it. Do you remember, do you remember, I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, what happened in, in grade six and the decision that you took after you, you, you were the cowardly lion. Uh, but do you remember when it all clicked and it kick-started what was the genesis of where you are right now? Absolutely. So I went to one of those private schools where, you know, it's highly competitive and you need to be perfect at everything and great at everything. And they would make us do speeches in English, right? Every, I think every three months or something, we'd have to do one speech in English class and they would uh, give you marks and you do it in front of your class. And every single year, I think from, the, from grade four, I would cry in front of the classroom every time I'd have to get up and make a speech because I'd be so nervous. I would shake and I, I would lose my words and everything would be a jumble in my mind. And then I remember getting it so bad that my parents had to call the teacher to ask her to excuse everybody, you know, from the classroom, mm. just ask them to leave the classroom so I can do my speech for my teacher and then they can come back when I'm done. And I remember in grade, I think it was grade six, yes, um, we had to do our English speeches again. And my teacher said, no, try do it in front of the class. You know, just stand here and try. And I remember everyone in my class, like my colleagues were just laughing, you know, and chuckling. Some of them looked a bit embarrassed because I was coming up to do my speech and they know how I am with speeches, you know. And I, I did the speech, but I could see them laughing. I was stuttering. I was a ball of nerves. It was a mess. And I remember just making a pledge to myself after that speech. I said, I'm going to grade seven. After grade seven is high school and I want to be different. I know I can be better than this. 
Mm. So during the school holidays, I actually, instead of like going out to play with everybody, I lined up all my teddy bears and I started saying speeches to my teddy bears. Really? <laughs> Every single day, I was so determined. I started saying speeches to my teddy bears and I was also a very chubby kid. So I started exercising and, you know, watching what I'm eating. And when I came back to grade seven, I was a new woman. Like I was a completely mm. different kid. Everyone was like, okay, what's happening here? And then when it was time to do our speeches in English class first term, I killed it. I got 97%. I think I was the second highest student for public speaking. And I became deputy head girl. And my life changed. Literally, I was just determined to fix it. I said, I don't want to be this person. I want to be a different person. And when I did the work, it paid off. That is incredible. If you've just joined us, it is the meeting point. We're in conversation with Lebo Lion, award-winning marketer, podcaster, strategist, and uh, speaker, sharing her story of how she ended up here. And Lebo, the the one part of your journey right now is the need to amplify the voice of Africa, um, but also doing doing your work as a, as a marketer, as a digital strategist, but keeping in mind the root that is the continent. Why is that important? I think it's important because when you're a black African person, you can't escape where you came from. I can't go anywhere in the world and pretend to be from somewhere else. It's mm. very obvious that I am African. It's very obvious that I come from Africa. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And so because we can't escape our identity, we need to give that identity value in the international community. And from my experience in traveling around the world, speaking around the world, uh, interacting with different organizations around the world, I really felt that there wasn't a lot of respect for what the African continent can bring. And there were lots of misconceptions about the talent that exists there, the value of that talent, and just the value of the country overall. And I thought to myself, I need to make this, I need to change this narrative. I need them to see that, you know, someone like me isn't an exception. It's actually the rule. There's so many African people who are talented in their respective fields, who have a lot of global value to give um, to different communities. And so for me, the African narrative is about the fact that I can't change the fact that I'm African. I can't change that I look African. I can't change that when I walk into the room, that's what people see. But what mm. I can change is what it means to be that on a global stage. Speaking of changing or not changing, one of the issues in this, in the advertising world or marketing world when dealing with brands is the, in, in some cases, the, the refusal of brands to take into consideration the market that they operate in, which is mm -hmm. Africa or South Africa, but also a refusal of some of the brands to take on a young black African to drive their brand. How have you dealt with that, if at all you have? You know, that's a, that's a beautiful question, actually. And I just released a podcast about that. Um, you know, the South African marketing industry is a very complex one because just like every other industry, there are lots of racial undertones and narratives that really um, change how uh, power and decisions are made. So how power is exerted and how decisions are made, right? Mm. So we have a lot of different ideas about what is the African market? Who is the African consumer? So we're still debating that as an industry, right? 
because of our historical challenges, because of uh, different privileges that we have as different groups of people. So when we are there in a room trying to make decisions, trying to create campaigns, there's so many different observations and perspectives of what South Africa is and who the true South African customer is. And that's a subject we could talk about for hours because there's so much to unpack there, you know. And there is a stereotype that stands in our country that the most valuable customer is the Caucasian customer because they probably have the financial means, they probably live somewhere safe, they probably shop online, they're probably incredibly educated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So already from that, you can, you can just imagine the kinds of campaigns that are going to come out of that kind of thinking. So my role in the industry and the reason why I tweet so much about marketing and I have the podcast is because I didn't want to feel compelled to play into the existing narratives that we have in the South African landscape. I wanted to be the voice of reason and helping people see that we are a vibrant country. We do have different markets. We do have different people. And we need to start seeing African customers as a diverse group, not as one thing or two different things, black and white or man and woman. There's so many different kinds of people who exist on this continent, and there's so many pockets of opportunities for people who want to commercialize whatever they're selling. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that, that's how I play into the industry. I'm a little bit detached from it in the sense that I don't work for an agency. I have my own. I don't work for anybody I never have in this industry. And so I can say from my knowledge and from my conversations with other international players in the marketing game, this is what we think we should be doing. And I think we should be open to this, you know. So some people aren't happy with the conversations that I'm having. The fact that I'm saying we need to change. We need yeah. to have bigger conversations. We need to do things differently. But there are some people who are open to that change. And I think it's just going to take some time. In conclusion, I'm going to give you a scenario. It's a very real scenario. And I'm going to ask that you respond with your strategist hat uh, <laughs> to, to this challenge. Right. It's a very real one. Yeah. So you have this brand or this country called South Africa with all the history that it has that right now is going through a lot. There is COVID-19 and the impact of COVID-19, the loss of life, loss of jobs, impact on the economy, everything. And at the same time, there is what this country has been going through with protests, people dying, looting, tensions are high. It's a mess right now. Mm. You step into a um, boardroom and across the boardroom is the acting minister in the presidency. It's the president. It is somebody from tourism, uh, South African tourism, brand essay. You name them, all those people that strategically somehow impact on the way that the, the country is perceived or how it is. Mm. What do you say to them? Thank you for that. <laughs> That's a really good scenario, actually. Um, for me, I think the root of why people are behaving this way is because they feel unheard and unseen. And you will feel unheard and unseen if your needs are not met, if you feel like your life is not dignified. So if I was standing in a room full of people who are decision makers in our country, I talk to them about creating communications that help people feel seen and heard. You know, I think right now people feel like the government isn't trying to explain anything to them, isn't trying to comfort them, isn't trying to show them the truth. And so I think a bit of transparency 
and showing South African citizens that they are seen and they are heard and that there are real decisions being made because we see you and we hear you, I think that could really change how South Africans have confidence in our government and in our country as a brand. So I, I talk about a campaign that helps people feel seen and heard. I think that's important right now. Second part of the scenario, with a minute to go, also listening to you is the CEO of SA Tourism. Right now, we've got a couple of countries, and, and this is real, China and others who are saying to their citizens, don't go there. But also we know the impact on on that COVID has had on the tourism industry and there is a need to at least on some level we're allowed we're allowed to see more people come to South Africa. What do you say to them? What advice do you give to them on what they should do to have people come into the country, notwithstanding where we are right now? You know, there's a conversation we like to have in the marketing industry about can you sell a bad product with good marketing? And most of the time the consensus is no, you know. You can have the best packaging, you can have the best communication, you can have the best advert. But when once somebody experiences that product and it's not good, you've lost the customer forever. So my advice, even though it won't be something that's well received, would be let's fix our country first, guys. <laughs> you know, let's if we really want to bolster this this um tourism industry, if we really want to to, to energize it, let's do it by encouraging South African people to travel in this country. I don't think we have the capacity right now to have international tourism. There's so many things that we need to fix. And I think once we fix those things, then we can truly be a product that not only looks and sounds great, but it actually delivers a good experience. Who would have thought that at grade six, you had to be a cowardly lion because (laughs) you didn't have what it took to roar. And we're listening to you roar right now. Lebo, thank you very much for making time to speak to us. eh? Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Much, much appreciated. Thank you very much. That is Lebo Lion, and you can access her and and her work. And and also, hey, you know, if you listen carefully, government officials, if you listen very, very carefully, I did something there with those scenarios. And you could possibly, you know, engage people who are in the know at level lion underscore essay on uh, Twitter, or you can also um, go to access the work that she's doing. Of course, um, one of the areas that we covered in with in the conversation with her is the podcast and lessons with lion is where you can find the podcast on iTunes. And this is how we celebrate and acknowledge South Africans doing incredible things. It is beautiful. Uh, the work that she's doing.